So Acts 4, verse 32. It says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and, bought, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back Part of the price of the land. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou was not light unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yeah, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carried her forth, and buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. I'm going to pray before I continue. Lord, I just... I want you to be glorified this morning, Lord. I want to make sure that the things that I am saying and teaching um, are the truth from your word, Lord. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would guide my thoughts this morning. And, Lord, I pray that um, you would be glorified and that each one here would be able to take something away this morning, um, even though the things I'm saying are not deep and profound or new necessarily. But, Lord, I just pray that um, just your word would, would speak and that we would grow through that. So we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So, whether I needed to read the second part of that with Ananias and Sapphira, maybe not, but I'm not reading this as a prescription of how we ought to act, in that we should all sell everything we have and we'll just all live together in a commune and share everything. <laughs> Although we're tempted some days. <laughs> and it's not to say that we couldn't come to that. Um, our world could go and things could get so hard for us as we're in, 
tending toward that, those end times, that we could get to that point where perhaps we need to do that to help each other so that we can get through that period leading up to the, the, the tribulation. And so it's not to say that that's a prescription of how we ought to be, but it's certainly an idea that we could consider as times get harder. But um, part of what I, I see in here, this is, it was a choice. This was optional. <laughs> it was a description of what the general thing that was going on in that church. They were selling their stuff and they were bringing and they were distributing to, to everybody within the church. But it wasn't required. And that's kind of what we see in that second part with Ananias and Sapphira is that nobody was dictating that this, you need to do this. And so it wasn't under coercion of any sort. It was, if you want, you can take part in what we're doing and we're just, we're taking care of everybody. And they wanted to make sure that they were <laughs> taking care of themselves. And so they held back a part of the price and they gave what they figured everyone would consider might have been what they sold it for. And when Peter calls them out on it, he says, while it remained, wasn't it your own? And after it was sold, it's your own power to do with it whatever you wanted. You could have come and said, hey, here's a portion of what we sold our land for. I'd want you to use this. But they professed it as if it was the whole thing. And so... You just see like the, the attitude and their selfishness and, and all these things get tangled up when it comes to financial things. But I do want to talk about financial things a little bit today. And because I've had countless personal conversations with people regarding our world and the financial condition that our country is, is tending towards, and once again, I was driving somewhere and had the radio on, and there's a, an interview on CBC of, with some financial person and discussing what our current inflation rate and the, the forecasted increase in uh, um, interest rates is going to do to the average person. And it's not overly encouraging when you look at some of those things and when you talk to people that understand the system and what that's gonna to lead towards. And so I'm just gonna look at a little bit of that and then maybe talk about what the Bible says of how we are to be um, responsible with our finances. And so just looking at, and it, I look for Canadian information, and every time you look for Canadian information, they just give you American because that's close enough, right? Um, that's where most of the information is, is, is from the States. So I don't know if this stat was a Canadian stat or an American stat, but basically it was this, the headline was that inflation has hit a 40-year high in May, and it continues to climb. And so 40 years, that's somewhere in the 70s, and if you're, I, I don't, re, I was alive in the 70s, but I don't remember the 70s, <laughs> but 
But I, I know of the effects of what took place from the high inflation and then the very high interest rates that followed. And some people were completely devastated by what took place and other people profited greatly from it. And it depended on what their financial situation was and what they did financially during those times. And I think we're, we're possibly looking at a time where this is going to have that same or similar effect um, on people. And so this was, I, I found some basic information. I couldn't get it all together and it's a perfect little package. Um, but very similar to what the, was being described in that interview. And the example was given, and here's, I don't know if anybody here has a, a mortgage of $278,748. <laughs> I don't know where they come up with these numbers, but, but $270,000, that's not uncommon for a, even in Thunder Bay for buying a house these days. Um, one of the things discussed in this as well is just looking at the actions of people. Many people have seen that the house that they were living in has gone up substantially in value. And so have the bright idea that I'm going to sell this and make a huge profit. Which is a great plan unless you're going out to buy a more expensive, bigger, better house that has also gone up in value the same way that yours did. And so you've actually leveraged yourself and put yourself into greater debt in doing this, even though the initial sales seemed like a good idea at the time, right? I know other people have actually done very well by selling their house that's gone up in value and downgraded. <laughs> Went into the country, bought property or a smaller house or, and actually have done very well. Um, reduced their um, amount of, of their mortgage or their, or their loan or the, the amount that they've borrowed. So there's lots of these things going on and it, so this is probably not that far out as far as an example goes. So the variable, if you had a variable interest rate mortgage at $278,000, if you also had a variable interest rate personal loan of $6,000, and I'll just throw out there like, we haven't used it in many years, but we have a line of credit that is a variable rate line of credit. And we used to use it a lot because um, we ran a business rather poorly and we're always several months behind in our expenses. Um, and so you'd pay the bills on your visa and then when the visa comes due, you'd put it on the line of credit and by the time the next month rolled around, yeah, you probably had enough that you could pay off the line of credit and put them, right? It just, it was a cycle that kept going. And so we, at once upon a time, used our line of credit quite a bit. Um, and that's not uncommon. People use those to buy things they want. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. So a variable interest rate loan of $6,000, a fixed interest rate car loan of $10,000, most of us drive cars, many of us, many people have a, a loan on those cars. A fixed interest rate credit card debt of $6,500. This is just like, this is a normal person in Canada, really. It's just various loans, visas, or credit card debt, car loans. 
But in this example, the current, sorry, a rise in interest rates of 3% would, pay, would mean that you're going to pay $466 more a month in loan payments. A 3% rise in interest adds, creates $466 more in interest payments. And that's with a couple of fixed rate things as well. That's over $5,500 a year. I don't know how many people have an extra $5,000 at the end of the year to just to make those same payments that I, you, you were already making, right? That's difficult, but that's not the end of the story because inflation is also going up, which means the cost of our everyday goods is going up. Um, I don't know where people get their numbers from. You go online looking for cost of living numbers and it's all over the map. So here's just a ballpark, family of four, they came up with $3,900. I think they did $3,911, to be honest. But if, it, if your cost of living, that's your housing, food, utilities, the whole thing, if, it's, if your cost of living is $3,900 for a family of four, between 2018 and 2022, the increase just due to inflation would bring that $3,900 up to $4,300. That's a $400 increase per month on top of the $400 and some dollar increase in interest payments. So $800 and some dollars a month more in payments without us changing anything in our lifestyle is an extra $10,000 or so dollars in a year. That gets hard, doesn't it? And that's just us being normal people, borrowing a little bit of money for this, a little bit of money for that, having a mortgage for our house, and just living our life. We took those payments on the assumption that if everything stays the same, I can handle making those payments. The trouble is that the stat says that 48% of Canadians live paycheck to paycheck, meaning that we've maxed out our spending and that in order to pay all of the bills and all of the loans and debt and everything that I have to maintain my standard of living, I'm like break even. I don't have an extra $800 a month to put towards those same payments when those prices change on us. And that's the trouble that our world is in. That's what the problem that almost every Canadian is facing right today and going on forward, it's expected to get a little bit worse. That's hard, right? That's a hard life. How do we deal with this? So the average person, if, it, if I'm living paycheck to paycheck, month to month, and I want to maintain my standard of living as the same as it is, but my monthly expenses go up four to $800 a month. How do I do that? I borrow more money, don't I? I put more things on my credit card and I carry a, a bigger balance on my credit card. I take my line of credit and I put a little bit more stuff on the line of credit to keep the credit card available so I can continue using it. 
and I just keep increasing the debt. But what does increasing the debt do? It increases that monthly payment and the higher interest rates, and it just compounds. And it just gets worse and worse the longer this goes on. Do you realize the Bible gives us some principles of how we are to handle some our finances? To keep us out of those kinds of problems. And I'm just going to go through some of that. I'm not even going to go into great depth in it today. There's too many things that you could look at, but there's some just basic understanding. And the first thing that we need to understand is that God is the source of everything that we have. Um, Philippians, if you want to, if you want to turn with me there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a great verse. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. I should have looked it up, but a second Charles Spurgeon quote that I saw this week spoke about putting our faith in gold, but in heaven, gold is so worthless they pave the roads with the stuff. <laughs> it's so abundant. It's not this precious thing anymore. It's, we use it just, you know, we cover the roads, we walk and drive on the stuff. That's the riches of heaven. And so according to his riches and glory, God can supply all our needs. But it doesn't say he's going to supply all of our wants, does it? We have a lot of, we have a lifestyle in Canada, in North America, that has a lot of wants that we think of as needs. Um, we spend a lot of money on things that are absolutely not important. And it doesn't say he's going to supply all those things. If we're not doing with our finances, with the things that God has provided with us, things according to the way he says we ought to handle those, we could go, you go into the Gospels and Jesus tells us the, the parable of the guys with the talents, right? And the master comes back and after the time goes up and asks them what they've done with what they were given. And they were expected to have done something good with that. And God expects us to do wisely with what he gives us. And so if we go wasting what God has given us and we come back and say, well, I can't feed my family, I can't pay my rent, I can't pay my hydro or my heating bill, that's not God's fault, is it? <laughs> if you haven't done wisely with what he provided you in the first place, God shall supply all your need. If you use it for something other than needs, well, that's not God's fault, that's your fault. <laughs> we need to be aware of our actions have consequences. God's promise doesn't fall short, but we have to do our part with it as well. That doesn't mean, yeah, we won't carry on with that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Okay. 
verse 8. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. God is able to supply every need, but it's for a purpose so that you can do the work that he's given you to do. And so if I'm doing things in, with selfish motivations, these verses don't really apply. <laughs> it's for his glory that we're supposed to be living and using what he's given us. So we need to realize that God is the source of all that we receive, and it's all his, which is why we are to give first back to him. And the principle, and I talked a few weeks ago about giving um, and giving that tithe, that 10% back to, to God, because it was his in the first place, and he blessed you with it, we ought to give back to him. And that's supposed to come first, not last. It's not of the leftovers, but it's of the first fruits. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with some measure that ye, with the same measure that ye meet, with all shall it be measured to you again. If you're generous with what God has given you, God will cause others to be generous back to you. We don't just we don't sit here and hold God accountable. I gave this much. I expect this. <laughs> it's not with the expectation. It's just that I want to be a blessing, and I'm going to use what God's given for His glory and to bless somebody with that. And he just says, I will return that blessing back to you. You may not get it back the way that you're hoping. And if that's your, your motivation when you're giving, it's, it's out of the wrong heart. And <laughs> that blessing can't be given back because it, it was the, your motivation was wrong. And so we need to just give to be a blessing. Um, give to glorify God. And giving for God's glory. So the next principle is that we ought to be saving a little bit of money. We should be putting something away so that when hard times come, we have something. <laughs> when, a, when an unexpected expense comes, we have the ability to pay that unexpected expense. Proverbs chapter 21. I'm going to turn there. Proverbs 21, verse 20. It says, There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. I think I read that one when I was talking about putting away food, right? But there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. If we are wise, we will put aside and save and make sure there's extra sitting there, because we understand that hard times come. We understand we have a broken stove in our house. Our, we, we bake in our, in our toaster oven at the moment, <laughs> just because we haven't gone out to, to replace our, our regular one. The stove top works, it's propane, but the oven let, electronics are fried, so it doesn't work. But here's an expense, and you know what? We have the money to buy the new one. 
because we follow the principle of this, of setting aside, we have money for things that we consider emergencies. We call it an emergency fund. And it's just money that's just always there. And it gets, when it gets spent, it gets replenished. And so that money is, is always set aside, ready to be used for these unexpected expenses that come along. Paul's dirt bike wasn't one of those <laughs> emergency fund things, right? It's like, I need to have a... We didn't borrow money for Paul to buy a dirt bike. Paul's working a job. He's 14 years old. I'm like, I think this is the time when he can use that money for something frivolous like a dirt bike. It's not a need, but he doesn't have much for needs because we're supplying those needs at this point. Five years from now, he's not going to be able to buy that dirt bike because he's going to have other things to spend that money on when he's working. And so this is the time where he can do that sort of thing. And it's not, it's okay to, to spend on things that we don't need to have some nice things. It's okay, just don't do it by borrowing and by leveraging ourselves and putting ourselves in a hard position where we don't have an emergency fund to replace the broken stove or the broken fridge or whatever it is that comes along, right? So in a wise man, has treasure stored up in his house, under the mattress, <laughs> in the mattress, I don't know. So there's just a, just a basic principle in scripture is that a, to be wise is to have that extra, to put aside so that you have the means to take care of the emergencies that come up in life. Psalm 37 gives us our next principle here. I hope you didn't lose your spot in Proverbs. I'm about to go right back there. But Psalm 37, verse 21, says, The wicked borroweth, and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. The wicked borroweth, and payeth not again. We get into these scenarios where what I described at the beginning of all these expenses and our interest rates are going up and our living expenses are going up because of inflation. We have all these problems and what do I do? And I've already maxed out. I'm living paycheck to paycheck and now I can't pay my mortgage. It's a choice between my mortgage and putting food on the table for my kids. I have to default on my mortgage, right? I have no choice. But what does the verse say? The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Going into bankruptcy, I don't know where this system came from in our, in our world, but the system where I can claim I'm just incapable of paying this and all of my debt goes away and seven years from now I get to start all over again and not have to worry about the borrowing. Well, that's what scripture calls wickedness. <laughs> that attitude of I can default on that and not worry about it. Scripture says if you borrow... You pay that back. You said you'd pay it back, you better do it. That's a, you can find that principle in many different parts of scripture. But Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says, adds a little bit to that, that thought. So Proverbs 22, verse 7, 
says, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. And we, I think we see this more and more. The more debt you're under, the less rich you are, and the more in servitude to the lenders you become. You're just like burdened by this stuff. <laughs> the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. It's not wise to borrow money to pay for things, especially for things that we don't need. So, I, I, I tried commenting on some online chat where people describe their hardships of their finances and they can't afford stuff and they're trying to reduce their bills but the fact that that person is online having this conversation means that they're paying an internet bill. Is that essential? Not for most of us. Some of us need it for our work maybe but if you're working from home. But most of us don't need internet. We just want internet. Most of us carry cell phone around with us. <laughs> Most of those cell phones are worth thousand dollars. I don't know if they're worth a thousand. They cost a thousand dollars. Although we don't see that cost, right? Because we incorporate it into our monthly bill. And I have a contract with the phone company that I will continue paying this for the next however many years until that phone is actually paid for. The best part of that system, this particular phone that is now, I think, four years old, when I went to replace it, because you were, when I, when I had signed up and I got that phone, the system was set up so every two years you could go back and if you signed up for a new contract, they would give you a new phone. But when I went back to get the new phone, they had changed the program, so I now had to, the, the contract rate stayed the same, but they added the phone cost on top of that. And so the thing was, is if you didn't get the new phone, like even in the old system, if you didn't get the new phone, you still paid the same rate <laughs> as if you were paying for the new phone. Things didn't change, right? <laughs> it's just like the system is not set up in our favor. But we do these things, we pay for things, that we don't need. We will want them. It's nice. I can, I can be contacted no matter where I am, any time of day. <laughs> you guys can phone me and accept our other property. Has no cell service. And what a blessing that is. <laughs> but there are, you know, so there's times you can't reach me. But for the most part, we can reach any, any one of us can reach each other. No matter where we, like I, driving down the road and you can get a hold of me. You know, you can be shopping in town and, and I can call you and say, hey, can you pick up this while you're there and bring it? It's just, it's convenient, but do we need it? No. And we do that with so many things in our lives. And so we just, you get these con conversations where people are just unwilling to give up some of the luxuries that we have in life while complaining that they can't afford to pay just the things that are necessary in life. And so we just get mixed up with some of these things. So the solution, part of the solution, well, don't borrow for things that you don't need. 
But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Having that relationship with God is supposed to be sufficient. <laughs> be content with such things as you have. We, we get obsessed with having new things. And we always want a new something or whatever it is. Even if we already had one, that is still working. And I'd hate to say this, but our vehicles are a great example of that. Now, I'm also most regretting that, but Jen last year suggested we start looking for a new truck. I said, well, our truck's still working. I just got to do the body work on it. So I put new tires on it, and I put new ball joints in it, and I put new bearing in it, and I put needs in the muffler, and now I'm like, I'm going to spend as much on this stupid old truck as if I had bought the new one. There comes a time when, yeah, you should, it's time to replace it, right? But, but in reality, you know, when, I'm working, when I was working in the garage, people would come to me with vehicles and ask me, and this was a good thing to do, come and ask the mechanic, is it worth fixing this next thing, or should I go and buy something to replace it with? And I gotta say, the majority of the time, I would say it is worth fixing that car. If it's still working overall, and it just needs this worn out part replaced, replace the worn out part. It's, it doesn't have to be pretty, it doesn't have to be fancy, it doesn't have to have all of the new, latest, everything, just, be satisfied with the things that you have and with the things that you can afford. And God will bless you in those things. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Stop looking at what everybody else is driving and be satisfied with the clunker that you're driving if that's all that you can afford. Be content with such things as you have. Paul also said in Philippians chapter 4, Verse 11, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want, regarding whatever he had just been talking about. He's talking about them giving to him. But he says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. So he's, he described himself, I have been rich and I have been poor. I've had everything I could ever ask for. And I've had absolutely nothing but the shirt on my back. And he's learned to be content whichever state he is in. Whether at rich or poor or anywhere in between, he's learned to be content in that state. And I've been sitting at home this week. My whole family is working and I'm sitting at home. What a great system. <laughs> I've learned to be content. <laughs> no, but I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm working around and I'm doing things. But I stopped and I had a cup of coffee and I went out and sat on the deck. And I'm stressed because I've got, I've got this guy's truck that just got towed into the yard. I've got the motor sitting there. I've got to change on this truck. 
I've got these cupboards that I'm building for my sister-in-law, and I've got gardens that I, I don't have land to put the garden into, and the land that I have is too mucky. I've already got my tractor stuck in the mud over there, so I'm like, well, that's not going to happen. And so I've got, I'm doing all these things, and I'm busy, and I'm stressed, and then I sit down on the deck with a cup of coffee, and the sun's shining. I've got the trees in the background and the birds, and like, what a good life I have. What a blessing to, like, I don't have a need. My wife doesn't have to be at this job that she's working, and she just gets up at this stupid hour. I'm, not, I'm hardly even conscious as she's walking out the door in the morning. And she's having a great time killing baby trees. Is what, they're, they're thinning the, the trees that they planted a few weeks ago. Um, but she's having a chance to witness and talk to these other girls. She's doing it because she wants to, not because we have a financial need. And we look at some of this stuff and it's like, God has really blessed us that we can make these choices and I can be sitting at home and doing these odd jobs, but here I am letting some of this stuff burden me and stress me out. I was like, my... My troubles in life are so small. <laughs> I need to learn to be content with the blessings that God has given me. And I need to be willing to work hard. Proverbs 28 verse 19 says, He that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. If we work hard, we will be able to provide the things that we need. But if we just get caught up in following after and buying the fanciest, the newest, the latest, and going out and wasting what we have and wasting our time, then we'll have plenty of poverty. <laughs> you can have it either way, but it's mostly up to us based on what we choose to do with our time. And in all of these things, Probably the, like, these are just basic principles of how to live and how to handle our finances, how to handle our time and the things that God has given us. I don't want to turn with me to Proverbs 15. I'm going to say, this is, in, in this context, this is probably the most important aspect. In the bigger picture, our relationship with Christ is, a, is more important. <laughs> we need to realize, you know, I'm, I'm on the assumption that we're already on that page and here I'm dealing with the next, one of the next steps, one of the other things that Scripture deals with outside of our salvation, our relationship with God, right? So Proverbs 15 Verse 22 says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. And we could go back to when Solomon passed away. We, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And his life was a mess. But he ruled very wisely. 
But when his son stepped up to take over the throne, he had two groups of men that gave him counsel. There was the old men that had given counsel to Solomon. Think about that. This, the wisest man who ever lived had people giving him counsel. He still went to people for counsel of what he ought to do to get different perspectives on how to rule and what to do. And yet, his son listened to those men and then he brought in a bunch of young men, his peers, and they gave the opposite counsel. They gave foolish counsel and he listened to them. And it destroyed him. <laughs> and so we look at this verse says, without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. We need to seek out godly counsel in the things that we do. When we don't know, you know, when my customers didn't know whether the car was worth fixing, if their frame was cracked and the car was actually going to fall apart going down the road and changing this bearing is not going to help the longevity of this car, I'm going to tell them that. And they trusted me with my opinion on these things. Sometimes <laughs> I question the wisdom in, in that, but <laughs> you know, I, I don't see everything, I can't see the future, but, but they would trust me because I was knowledgeable in that area. We need to find people that are trustworthy, that fear God, that understand godly principles and seek their counsel in the decisions we make. So whether it's in the new car or maybe it's in the, should I sell my house and is, it, is this a good time to, to upgrade? <laughs> well, no, it's not. This is a good time to downgrade, <laughs> right? So we need, to, we need to seek counsel because if some of us, I'm not huge into finances. You know, don't, don't come to me asking for how to invest in the stock market because I don't know and I don't do it because I don't know. And I've, I've looked at it. I've read about it. I've, I just don't know. That's supposed to be quiet. This phone keeps turning on in my pocket and setting things. So that was an alarm that it set while in my pocket. <laughs> Anyway, we need to seek counsel. When we don't know things, we go to somebody that does know about that thing and can help us to make decisions. Is this a good product? Is this a good way to invest my money? Is this a good whatever? And seek that counsel. Find out if other people would recommend you make the choice that you're thinking about making. And don't just, this is, I can never, is it Rehoboam or Jeroboam? Whatever, it's Solomon's son. He, he was looking for people that would counsel him in the same way that he was thinking already. That's not what seeking counsel is about. Seeking counsel is about finding somebody that knows something that you don't about the situation and can counsel you in the best way possible to help you make a better choice than what you would make on your own. If you're just looking for affirmation that I should do this thing, 
it's probably not the thing you should be doing. It's not the counsel you should be seeking. I'd love to go into some how to, how to, <laughs> some things to do, but I'm out of time. And that's not my area of expertise. My wife would be the person to talk to for that. <laughs> we, on, on a certain income, we paid double that income in a year towards our mortgage. Don't ask me how that happens. I paid double my income in a year towards my mortgage, plus whatever other expenses in life. Because I worked outside of just the one job. I earned more than double what my full-time job paid so that I could pay these things. Sometimes we have to hustle a little bit to be able to make up for where we have some holes in our system here. We've had some bad decisions in the past and now I need to make up for that. And so we made up for that and we fixed it. We paid off our house. And now that my income is a quarter of what it was then, it doesn't matter because my house is paid for and I don't have any other debt. All it's been paid for. And I can pay for the new stove because we set aside the emergency fund to be able to cover those unexpected expenses. I don't have to take it out of this month's pay, <laughs> right? These are just some things that you can do and it's not, not everybody, yeah, my job, I wasn't actually doing my job for the last two years because my job didn't exist, but I kept getting paid. So that did allow me to do other things and I had more time than the average person is to do extra work. So I know not everybody can make more than double their income by doing side jobs, but the ideas are there and we just have to sometimes dig a little bit, make sure that we're paying off those debts in a wise way that gets rid of them. Make sure we're setting aside that emergency fund. Make sure you're setting aside for later in life so when we lose our job before it's actually time to retire, that we're not struggling to, to get by because I'm not buried in debt at that point, right? I have money set aside and I, I, can, I can get by. We, those are the principles in scripture that deal with our finances and these are things that we should be diligent about doing and if you're we we made a lot of poor choices at certain points in our life and we were we had a lot of debt at a certain point in our life and we worked hard to get rid of that when we saw that that was a bad place to be if you're in that place where you've got that debt and you see that I'm in a bad place and things are not looking good going forward here you might need to make some sacrifices now, work a little harder now, give up some things, some comforts, some of those extra things that we like to have, and just dig in a little bit, prepare, do the best you can to make yourself ready for what's coming down the road. And I think that's important for us to do. And I'm not big on the prosperity kind of gospel. I think maybe you got that. <laughs> I'm not saying God's going to bless us and we're all going to be rich. I'm saying God wants us to be 
diligent in the things that he's given us and that hard times will come. And it's up to us to follow the principles that he's given to make sure that we're ready for those hard times. So if you're not in that position at this point, I'd suggest you start making some moves to get yourself in that position. Try to, try to simplify your life down to, to get ready for that. Anyway, we'll pray as we close here.